Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Father, do open our hearts now as we open your word. Lord, as you are the great worker on the hearts of men. So Lord, we bring ourselves to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Genesis 42. We're going to start this great chapter. Genesis 42, verse 1. Ready? Now, when Jacob saw that there was corn in Egypt, Jacob said unto his sons, Why do you look one upon another? And he said, Behold, I have heard that there is corn in Egypt. Get you down thither and buy for us from thence, that we may live and not die. And Joseph's ten brethren went down to buy corn in Egypt. But Benjamin, Joseph's brother, Jacob sent not with his brethren, for he said, Lest peradventure mischief befall him. And the sons of Israel came to buy corn among those that came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. And Joseph was the governor over the land, and for he it was that sold to all the people of the land, and he it was that sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brethren came and bowed down themselves before him with their faces to the earth. Now, here we are in this chapter. We've come to the start of a very important history And when we read this in verse 1, we're really starting this important history when it says, Jacob saw that there was corn in Egypt, and Jacob said unto his sons, why do you look one upon the other? This is the start of a great reconciliation that's going to happen here between Joseph's brothers and Joseph. This is the start of the reconciliation. And in this reconciliation, we see a deeper significance when the Jewish people will be reconciled to the God, to their God and Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's why it's so important, this chapters, and I didn't say chapters, I said chapters, because we see in this history a type where the Jewish people who have despised and rejected their Messiah, they're represented by Joseph's brothers in this history. And Joseph's brothers, of course, they've despised, they've rejected their brother, Joseph, who they sold as a slave. So in this history of Joseph is the type of the Lord Jesus Christ to the brother of the Jewish people. It's for this reason that this history is so very important. In this history, we see the type of the Jewish people coming to repentance, coming to receive the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the history that's going to extend for us over four chapters in the book of Genesis here. These chapters, God wants us to see God working to lead the Jewish people to repentance. We'll see God working to lead Joseph's brothers to repentance. This is what God loves to do. He's in this business. He loves, as it says in Romans 2.4, Romans 2.4, the goodness of God 
leadeth thee to repentance. So in these chapters, God wants to see how God responds to the Jewish people who repent and receive the Lord Jesus Christ as we see how Joseph responds to his brothers who come to him in Egypt. And if we see this, if we see this typology between Joseph and the, and, and the Lord Jesus Christ as God and the Messiah of the Jewish people, and the typology between Joseph's brother and the Jewish people repent and come to the Lord Jesus, then we will have gotten the greatest treasure that these four chapters hold for us. Because these next four chapters will see a transformation And it's not just going to be, hopefully, it's not just, you know, some interesting and entertaining history of Joseph and his brothers, but it's going to become for us a lesson for how to pray for the Jewish people to receive the Lord Jesus as their God and Savior. These next four chapters are going to become for us a guide for us that what's going to happen to the Jewish people as they come to, to repent and receive the Lord Jesus as their God and Savior. So now the chapter now in front of us, chapter 42, it breaks down into four sections. And the four sections are verses one and six, one through six is a distinct section in this chapter where Joseph's brothers go to Egypt. And then, it, and then the verses 7 through 17 is another distinct section here where Joseph's brothers receive a rough reception from Joseph. And then the part, the verses 18 through 34 is where Joseph makes demands on Joseph's brothers. And then the last three verses, verses 35 to 38, I mean four verses, are where Joseph's brothers return home with a very sad report and therefore, Jacob has a very deep sorrow. So that's how this chapter breaks down. Now, our last chapter, just to set the background here, our last chapter ended with really a stage set. And the stage was set in the last verse of the last chapter when it said, all countries came into Egypt to Joseph for to buy corn because that the famine was sore in all the lands. Now, when it says that it was sore in all the lands in that last verse of chapter 41, it's using a word, a Hebrew word, chazak, that really it's used for when a woman is seized upon by labor pains. That's the word that's used here. And so this famine has laid a seizure, has laid a siege on the land, and no one can get out of its fatal grip. And that's what's happened. That means that even Jacob and his family here is now feeling this fatal chazak, this grip of this famine. And so now we come in chapter 42 here where it says Jacob saw that there was corn in Egypt. The Septuagint is interesting because the Septuagint, when it translates this first verse here, it says Joseph saw that there was corn to be sold in Egypt. I meant Jacob. Jacob saw that. Yeah, very confusing. They all start with J's, but anyway, we'll try to work it through here. So how did Jacob see that, that there was corn to be sold in Egypt? Well, Jacob and his family, there they are. They're laying there. They're starving. And we can imagine them in their state there with no food. And they see these travelers, and they're coming through there, and they're eating the corn, and they're really happy because they've got food. And they see their neighbors 
and they're eating the corn, and they're happy. And so, you know, naturally, Jacob is going to ask them, where'd you get that corn? Where'd you get that corn from? And we can imagine, and they said, well, you know, it's down there in Egypt. We can imagine how it's just like a famine of unrest and fear and no security, and it hits the Jewish people. And we can see some of the Gentiles, you know, they've got peace, they've got security, they got this feeling, and a Jewish person asked the, the Gentile, where'd you get that peace? Where'd you get that security? And the Gentile Christian tells them, so the Jewish person says, well, I got it by receiving the Lord Jesus Christ. It's just like starving Jacob, seeing the, these others eating this food and finding out, well, we got it down there in Egypt. So, and, and Jacob, he's not the only one. He's not the only one who saw these others that were enjoying all this corn. The brothers, Joseph's brothers, they also, they saw the travelers and the neighbors and they were eating corn and they asked, where'd you get that corn? Where'd you get that corn? And you can just imagine for the brothers that when they heard that it was Egypt, their blood ran cold. I mean, this was like, you know, when they heard this, well, we got it down in Egypt. There's plenty of corn down there that they told the brothers, you know, those Egyptians, they, I don't know why, but they stored up all this corn all over the country, big storehouses. There's enough for all of Egypt to eat and all the world to eat. And when Joseph's brothers heard Egypt, they were chilled with fear because they knew that they were starving and they knew they got to go down to Egypt to get the corn. Egypt's the last place that they wanted to go because that's where they sold Joseph as a slave. And they were afraid, you know, what happens if we go down to Egypt? What if we go down to Egypt? You know, and one of the slaves yells out, hey, brothers, it's me. (laughs) It's Joseph. Here I am. And they want to kill him, but they can't because he belongs to somebody else now. So they don't have that power. And he's someone else's property. And they're afraid. That's terrible. Maybe our father Jacob's going to find out. So all this starts to percolate in the minds of the brothers. And they heard there's food in Egypt. And as for Jacob, it just seems so obvious to Jacob. The sons need to go down to Egypt to buy grain. But when Jacob looked at all his sons, he saw a look of surprise and distress and despair and paralysis because they didn't know what to do. And he doesn't understand. Jacob looks at him and he doesn't understand because he has no idea at this point. Jacob has no idea that Egypt is involved with the disappearance of his favorite son, Joseph. I mean, just think back a little bit now on how carefully these brothers had carried out this dark scheme. I mean, just think back a little bit on all the steps that were involved in order for the brothers to carry out this scheme, to get rid of Joseph and to pull off this deception forever. So what were they? What were the steps that they took to get rid of Joseph and conceal their sin of selling him as a slave? Okay, what were they? What were some of them? 
Okay, so they had to put the blood there. Okay, there was a step involved in that. What else? There was all steps. The step of dipping the blood, the step of bringing it back to the Father. Right, any others? That's right. There was the step of selling him as a slave. The money involved in everything. Okay, anybody else? There was the step of killing the animal to get the blood, okay? They had to plan. They had to plan, and then you said talk to each other. They had to not only talk to each other, get the input, they had to get everybody on board. You know, we cannot have a loose link in this, right? Okay, these are great. Now, first we can see that there was the careful planning, figuring out what are we gonna do. You remember, at first the plan was just to kill him. And then they changed that plan, you know, because they didn't have everybody on board. Somebody said, are you kidding? We can make some money out of this and not get our souls guilty with murder. So there was careful planning of the scheme. Then, after they had come up with the plan, they had to go around and make sure every brother was on board. And they had to make sure that every brother had agreed to tell the same story about how Joseph was killed by the wild animal. No one could stumble in this. No one should hesitate. Because if each one of those brothers was interrogated separately, you know, by the father of the Israeli, (laughs) Mossad, (laughs) Jacob, as to exactly what happened to Joseph, they all had to have the same story. They had to be tight. Now, after that, There was the step of the careful tearing of the coat. They had to tear that coat up to make it look like animal teeth had ripped it up. And they knew that their father was going to latch onto that coat and examine it very carefully and cherish that coat to his dying day because that's the last memory he has of Joseph. So that coat had to look just like animal teeth had tore it up. I don't know how they did that, but they did it, and that was a step. That coat had to be made to tell the perfect lie. And then there was the step, as Scott was mentioning here, of the killing of the goat. And then they had to get this done. Now, what happens if we're asked about, well, how come a goat's missing? You know, okay? Everyone had to have the same story. It just died out there, all right? Or it disappeared, whatever. Then there was the careful collection of the blood. Oh, that's, don't think that's easy. Why? Because first they had to get enough blood to work with. You know what happens to blood when you collect it? It coagulates. It clots. It turns into a jelly mass. Not good for dipping a coat of blood in. Right? So you have to work fast before that blood clots in order to get it applied to Joseph's coat where it needed to be applied. Then there was the careful step of carefully dipping the coat, and as we mentioned, that's gotta be fast, into the blood there. And that blood had to look like Joseph had struggled with the wild animal before Joseph died. So we can imagine the brothers, you know, dipping the coat into the blood and, and, you know, and saying to the blood, lie, blood, lie. Lie, coat, lie. (laughs) Tell the lie that Joseph was killed by a wild animal. 
Then there was the step of the careful cleaning up of themselves. You know, they can't have blood on them, you know, because, I mean, they got to destroy all the parts of the evidence that pointed to the deception. None of them could have any blood on their clothes. I mean, they weren't involved in the wild animal fight. It never happened. And then there was the careful rehearsing of the story, not only among themselves. Who else did they have to rehearse the story to? Who actually brought that coat to the father? Who was the person who carried the coat to the father? Anybody remember? It was a servant. They didn't bring it themselves. They sent it there. That means that servant's got to have the right story, right? He can't mess up. I don't know, where did the servant come from? Or He was probably there, but he was rehearsed. You have to say to the father, do you know this coat? Do you recognize this coat? That servant had to get it right. And it was all designed so that Jacob would come to the conclusion, oh, my son has been killed by a wild beast. Because remember now, they didn't tell him that. They just said, you just go there and show him the coat, and then you just give it to him, say, this is your coat. And then Jacob was the one who came to the conclusion he was killed by a wild beast. Now, that servant was probably traveling with the group of the brothers, with the the band of brothers. (laughs) The band of brothers, right? And so the servant probably knew the truth, all right? So then what else did they have to do to that servant to make sure he didn't spill the beans? They had to threaten him with his life. (laughs) We will do to you what we did to this goat if you don't slip up on this. So this is careful steps. Then there was the careful, oh, I forgot, but you know, really, like you said, Jose, there was the careful step of pulling them out, negotiating, and selling them off as a slave. That was definitely a step as well. You got to make sure now, when you guys take this brother of ours, you make sure he doesn't escape. (laughs) The last thing we need is for him to show up at home and tell what we did. Are you guys really going to hold on to him here? He's very valuable. You'll get a lot of money for him in Egypt. So, you know, hold on to this guy. He's really something. He dreams. Did I tell you he dreams? (laughs) He's really, look at him. So, where's that careful step? Then there was the careful keeping of the code of silence. Code of silence. 16 years they kept this code of silence. And it all worked for 16 years. It was fantastic. It worked for 16 years. Who would have thought that after 16 years that they'd have to face this? And so, but now, you know, they say, they hear this, go down to Egypt and buy the food. Now they feel like, oh no, we're being dragged to Egypt to face what we've kept under a strict code of silence for 16 years. Not one of us has uttered a peep about Joseph or Egypt. So we see them, we understand now in verse 1 why it says they're just looking at each other in silence. That's all they can do, they're under a code of silence All they can do is just look at each other. And that's what Jacob sees them doing here. They're just staring at each other. Without any words, they stare at each other. And in each one of their minds, as they stare at each other, they're thinking. And they're really speaking very loudly to each other, only without words. It's the sound of silence here. (laughs) It's the sound of silence because these are silent words. 
And what they're saying to each other in their silence as they're staring to each other is they're saying, hey, what about all our careful planning? What about that careful tearing of the coat and that careful killing of the kid and that careful collection of the blood and that careful dipping of the blood and that careful cleaning up of the mess and that careful selling of Joseph and that careful rehearsing of the story and our careful keeping of the silence for these 16 years. That's what they're saying to each other in silence as they look at each other and they think back over all these nine steps to get this perfect fail-safe plan. And here it is, 16 years later, and they're saying to themselves, we forgot the 10th step. (laughs) We forgot the 10th step that really would have made our plan the fail. What's the 10th step? What'd they forget? They looked at each other and they said, we didn't think that there was going to be a famine (laughs) that was going to drive us into Egypt for food. Why didn't any of us think that during these seven years of plenty that the Egyptians would be laying up food for the famine? Why didn't any of us think that during these seven years of plenty we needed to lay up food for the famine? That's the tenth step of laying up food for the famine, coming famine. What were we thinking? And then what did they say to each other? How could any of us have thought of that? How could any of us have thought that during the years of plenty, we should have been laying up food for some coming famine? We thought the climate had changed for good. We thought there was a permanent global warming. (laughs) And it was going to be big harvest from here on out. How could any of us have been thinking that we were going to be dragged down to face something we did 16 years ago? And now they're all beginning to wonder, Maybe God's behind this. (laughs) They're thinking, they're all starting to wonder. It's too many coincidences here. You know, maybe they're starting to come to the conclusion of what they're going to say in the 44th chapter, Genesis 44, 16, when Judah speaks, God has found out the iniquity of thy servants. It's so incredible what he said. Oh, God just discovered it? Oh, he found out. (laughs) Oh, look, God found what was lost. So the brothers here are just staring at each other. They're speechless. And Jacob sees it, and they don't want to make a move toward Egypt. They just rather ignore the situation. I mean, can you feel the surprise that they're feeling? Can you feel this guilt? Can you feel the shame that these brothers are feeling now? As someone has mentioned, you got to go down to Egypt. I mean, the brothers are just in shock when they hear this word Egypt, and that's the place where they disposed of Joseph. So the brothers go on in this silence, just not, they don't want to talk about going to Egypt. Now, it reminds me of my grandson, Joshi, when he was nine years old, and what he did is he thought, you know, it would really sound great in the dryer if I threw a bunch of rocks in there. <laughs> I'd like that noise. So he throws a bunch of rocks in there, and they're going all over, and, and my son Joshua says to him, Joshy, what did you do? And I was there, you know, and I'll never forget it. It was so funny. He put his hands in his pocket, and he starts walking around. He says, I don't want to talk about that right now. I don't want to talk about that right now. <laughs> Amen. 
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. Or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Sunday Night Church is back. Join Friendship with God Bible teacher Tom Cantor at the new Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Join us early each Sunday at 4.30 p.m. for food and fellowship with Sunday evening services to follow at 5.30 p.m. Watch Tom Cantor and the service on YouTube Live, located on the Friendship with God website. Enjoy encouraging teaching from our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, in a relaxed and family-friendly atmosphere. Sunday Night Church is back, so join us at the Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum at 10946 Woodside Avenue North in Santee, California. For more information, call us at 800-247-3051, 1-800-247-3051, or visit friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org for the Friendship with God Fellowship.